Thank you for tuning into The World Game, a World Cup podcast. The podcast that will have everything you need to know about the World Cup. There will be recap episodes throughout the tournament, so you won't miss a storyline. Maybe there was a 90th minute game winning goal. Maybe there was some controversy. Either way, we'll dive right into it. My name is Peter Roman. I've loved football all my life, and thanks for joining me on this journey. Before we get going, I want to talk about the migrant worker situation. I'm going to do this for every single episode. Again, my heart goes out to the families and the victims of the horrible human rights abuses that went into making a sporting tournament, which should never, ever happen. So... This will always be a part of my podcast. It's important to remember the lives lost and to continue to push back against FIFA and their role in being complicit in this horrible human tragedy. Now on to the episode. All right, so today's episode is a lot of fun. We have the end of match day one and the very beginning of match day two. So the end of match day one, we have group G and H. And then we have the beginning of match day two with group A and group B. So, gonna go through all these games. I'm gonna do it with group G and H first because they're completing their first games. And then I'll move on to the teams that have now begun playing their second games at the tournament. So let's start with group G. In group G, I'm gonna start with Switzerland and Cameroon. So this game, not a ton of chances. Switzerland won this game one to nothing, but the the goal was, let's call it interesting, at least politically speaking, because the goal was scored by Mbolo. Uh, Mbolo plays for the Swiss team, but he was actually born in Cameroon. So you can imagine that's, you know, a little bit... Some people are upset. Some people are less upset. It's just, you can choose to represent whatever national team you want as long as you, you know, are able to gain citizenship in that country. And so Mbolo had Swiss citizenship and decided to represent Switzerland instead of Cameroon, which obviously would have upset some people, but it's a choice he made. And so it sucks for Cameroon because he scored against them in the game-winning goal. It was one nothing win, but this stuff happens. I mean... If you look at any team in this World Cup, they all pretty much have players that were born somewhere else that chose to represent their own nation. And so it's something that's just part of international football. You know, not... I don't know if there's, like, a perfect way to fix the system or, like, make it more ideal, but, like, it's just... It's how it is. And, like, you're not going to force players to not choose the country they want to represent. Right, So if they have an option of representing multiple countries, they should get that choice, at least in my opinion. I'm not sure if there's a good solution for that or not. But anyway, on the actual game itself, Cameroon, I felt, were better in the first half. They just couldn't quite get the goal. Chubo Moting had like a partial breakaway. He couldn't bury it. And they had a few other chances to score. They just couldn't beat Jan Sommer. Sommer, I thought, was man of the match easily. The Swiss goalkeeper was fantastic for them. And, you know, there's a reason why Sommer plays at you know the highest level that he does and there's a reason why he's one of the most respected goalkeepers on the planet he's really good and he definitely played like that today and so for Switzerland it wasn't pretty 
but they got the job done. You know, they're a good defensive team. They were good defensively for the most part. And Shakiri set up Bimbolo for the goal, and that's all they needed. one nothing win the final. Switzerland off to a good start. Cameroon, not the start they were hoping for. And then we have Brazil and Serbia. So this game, you know, Serbia played well. I have to give Serbia some credit. I think Serbia played about as well as you could have. But Brazil is Brazil. Brazil probably have the most talented roster in this tournament, and it showed, you know, because they they won the game 2-0. But I want to talk about the goal. And for anyone who hasn't seen the goal I'm referring to, go look it up. It's unbelievable. Richarlison. Richarlison is a player for Brazil. He also plays for Tottenham in the Premier League. He hasn't gotten a lot of playing time for Tottenham, but, you know, he's always kind of played well for Brazil over the last year or so. And so he got the start because of how he's played recently for the national team. And, well, the start was certainly vindicated by the second goal he scored. He scored the first goal, too, but that was a rebound. And, you know, not there wasn't a lot of skill involved in the first one. It was more positioning. He was in the right spot at the right time, put it in. The second goal, though, was something that you would expect from, like, Pele or one of the all-time greats because Vinicius had the ball down the left-hand side, and he crosses in in the middle. And I want to clarify, when he crosses this ball, it is in the air. And so Richarlison takes a touch in the air, flicks it up in the air, jumps, and basically turns his body to his side and just smashes it. And it ripples through the net. It's an unbelievable... It's such... Oh, man. It's such a good goal. It's a tremendous, pure, just perfection of a goal. It really is. And, you know, I'd run out of adjectives if I kept trying to describe it. But it is something that, like, Pele would have done. This is something that Maradona would have done. It is that great of a goal. And I feel bad because... You know, I literally just talked about how um, I think Saudi Arabia had the goal of the tournament for the second goal that um, Dasari scored against Argentina. Not anymore. It's Richarlison's, and I find it hard to believe that anybody could beat the goal that Richarlison scored. It is such a good goal. Please, please, please go watch the goal. It is such a good goal. And so Brazil wins 2-0. They were the better team. Serbia had a couple. There was one corner kick that they, you know, almost were able to get a good header on and were almost able to tie the game. But Brazil's really talented. They played really well. The only concern for Brazil is that Neymar got hurt in this game. And so it sounds like he's out for the rest of the group stage. But um, we'll have to keep an eye on it. For Brazil, I wouldn't be too worried, at least not right now. They have enough depth, in my opinion, to cover for Neymar. I think Martinelli is a player that could step up. I think Gabriel Jesus is a player that could step up. I think Antony could step up into the position. So you have options if you're Brazil. You're not, you're not screwed because Neymar got injured. Obviously, you'd rather have Neymar than not have Neymar. But they have the depth to get through it. And as long as they get Neymar back, you know, by the time the round of 16 and the quarterfinals hit, I think they'll be okay. So great opening win for Brazil. Serbia, I thought they played pretty well. But, you know, when when Richarlison scores the goal that he did against you, it's hard to win those games when it's just an absolute moment of magic. So credit to Serbia. It's a tough, tough loss. But they play Cameroon. 
and they play Switzerland next. Those are the games that they expect to win, like for themselves personally. And so if you win those games, you're through. Simple as that. On to Group H. So I'm going to start with the Portugal-Ghana game because this game was crazy. The last 25 minutes anyways. So we'll start with the penalty kick. So Ronaldo, at least the referee thinks he was fouled in the box and a penalty was given and Portugal scored on the penalty kick. So the question is, was Ronaldo actually fouled in the box? And my answer, as someone that was a referee for five years, my answer is no. I don't think Ronaldo was fouled. I I really, I mean, there's a little bit of contact in there. But it, here's the thing. Ronaldo is basically moving into the player, and it's not the other way around. It's not a trip. He's not, like, impeding his progress or anything. Like, it's just, it's just a collision. And I didn't, I really didn't think it was a foul. I thought it was a bad call, and it sucks for Ghana because they were defending pretty well up until that moment, but referee gave a penalty. Ronaldo stepped up. Ronaldo scored. Ronaldo became the first men's player to score at five different World Cups, and the only other players that have ever achieved that are Marta and Christine Sinclair on the women's side, but he's the first men's player to do it. Not even Pele or any of those other legends have done that, so credit to Ronaldo, but the penalty wasn't a legit call. It was a bad call. So that was the first goal. And then the second goal, it was Portugal. Uh, Joao Felix ended up scoring. Great pass by Bruno, but a terrible, terrible, terrible defending on that goal. Ghana really should have dealt with it. But Joao Felix scored 2-0. And you think the game's done, but then, nope, it's Ghana who scores. Um, and again, I apologize if I butcher names. I just, I'm trying my best with these. Uh, Kudos squared it across to Ayu, who scored. And so, you know, nice little goal for Ghana right there to get it back 2-1. to one. And then Portugal got a third goal uh, from Leao, who scored a very nice goal. It was another counterattack. Portugal got, they took advantage. Ghana were sending players forward. Portugal had numbers going the other way, and they were able to score. So... Not great for Ghana. They were kind of in shambles a little bit. But then late, you know, they got another one. Bukhari got a header, and it went in the net, and so now Ghana is down by one. And then they were so close. They were so close. They were, man, they were a good pair of cleats away from tying the game, and I'm not joking about that. So Portugal had the ball, and there was, like, very little time left if any if I remember correctly there was just like hardly any time left and so goalkeeper puts the ball on the ground which you're allowed to do right so he had it in his hands he put it on the ground and then Ghana player snuck up on him and almost stole it and then he slipped and then it's just he couldn't shoot it it was such a smart deceptive deceptive play he was behind the goalkeeper went up and stole it and then slipped and then he couldn't shoot it in and it was heartbreaking if you're if you're a Ghana fan that that had to be just absolutely gut-wrenching they were so close they almost 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 got a draw really close and then of course the Ronaldo penalty shouldn't have been a penalty either so if you're Ghana I think you probably feel hard done by and I think they're justified in that response I would be too if I was cheering for their team so tough one for Ghana kind of a gut punch and for them obviously you got to 
find a way to move past it and then move on to the next game. But, man, tough one for them. For Portugal, there's the good and the bad in this game. The good, they're really talented, and you see that. When Portugal are given opportunities, they have really good players who can make you pay for mistakes, as evidenced by this game. And the bad of Portugal, they switch off, they're not always consistent, and, you know, their team chemistry at times, lacking. So for Portugal, it's kind of the exact the same things we talked about going into the tournament as it is right now. But they got the win, and that's more important. They got the win, and so now they move on to the second game. You know, they play Uruguay next, and so the question is, can they secure the victory to advance to the next round? But, you know, there's good and bad for them. For Ghana, I think there's a lot of positives. Just the result... The result is unfortunate for Ghana, that's for sure. I, I think they were a little hard done by on the result end of things, but they got a chance to bounce back. They still have two more games at this thing. Next, we have Uruguay and South Korea. I'm going to be nice and quick with this game because it finished 0-0, and apparently no one had a shot on target. South Korea had a pretty good chance in the 33rd minute. Uh, Juan Wejo, again, I apologize if I butcher any of these names, he shot it over the bar. Came pretty close, though. Godin hit the post for Uruguay on a header. And Valverde, uh, Valverde also hit a post in the second half. And that's pretty much the end of the chances in this game. Not a lot to split these two teams. Um, although it was funny seeing, because a lot of the players in the South Korean team all have the name Kim in defense. And so it was kind of funny seeing commentators trying to go through that. But... Not a lot in this game. South Korea, I think, is pretty happy with the tie. Uruguay is probably a little upset with the tie. And that's probably how both teams feel coming out of it. And so that's what we got for the end of match day one. All right. On to match day two, starting with group A. The first game I want to talk about is Senegal and Qatar. Senegal won this game. Final score, three to one. Uh, Diaz scored the first goal, capitalizing off a Qatari mistake. The second goal was a corner uh, goal. And again, I apologize if I butcher names. Did how? That was probably really bad. And then Dieng scored the third goal for Senegal. He sealed it. Um, it was a layoff in the middle, and he converted. It was just a you know, good counterattack by Senegal. But yeah, three goals for them. Qatar ended up scoring their first goal at the World Cup. Goal from Montari, good header from across. But unfortunately for Qatar, it was too little too late. They actually had some good spells in this game. They had some moments where it looked like they were actually generating some good chances. Unfortunately for Qatar, you know, it wasn't enough of that. Like, they played better in this game than they did against Ecuador, but they just... There wasn't enough. Like, they were good in this game for, like, 10 minutes, and that's about it. And Mendy made a really good save on another chance they had, but not enough from Qatar. They were one of the weakest teams going in, and apparently this game didn't even sell out either, which, again, like, you put the World Cup in a country that doesn't care about the sport. Kind of sucks. So, Qatar is eliminated. Uh, I'll talk about the second game here in a minute, but Qatar is the first team eliminated they are the earliest host nation to ever be eliminated from the World Cup. They weren't that good going in, 
and when the country isn't really backing them, like the fan base. I'm not talking about like the government or funding or any of that stuff. I'm talking about the people, the citizens, the fans, the people that would presumably go to these games and cheer for Qatar. They kind of let them down because you can't even sell out your second game. Sad. Very sad. So good win for Senegal. They stay alive. And they, it'll ha Senegal will have everything to play for in match day three, which is what you want. Next, Netherlands and Ecuador. So the reason Qatar is eliminated is because Netherlands and Ecuador finished 1-1, which means Qatar has zero points, Senegal has three, and then we have four points for Ecuador, four points for Netherlands. So it's impossible for Qatar to overtake any of those teams and finish in the top two, which means they're eliminated. Even if they beat the Netherlands by 10 goals in their final game, which they obviously won't, but even if they did, they still can't go through. So this game, so Netherlands-Ecuador, I have to admit, I was very surprised because Ecuador was absolutely the better team. Ecuador deserved to win this game and it's unfortunate they didn't. They got unlucky they didn't win this game. They should have won this game. First, little shout out Cody Gakpo the young Netherlands forward he is becoming one of the rising stars of this tournament he scored another goal for the Dutch in this game and this one was a long-range bomb from the outside great goal great shot and this dude he's he's on his way he could absolutely win the young player of the tournament award I believe he's eligible but he could absolutely win that award he's been great for the Dutch in these first two games Unfortunately, his goal early in the game is about as good as it got for the Dutch because Ecuador was all over them after that. They created a lot of good counterattacks. Even though they had less possession, their counterattacks were really good. They were decisive. They were smart about how they did it. And they got a goal at the end of the first half, unfortunately ruled out for offside. And so this one, the only thing that the technology can't pick up is basically the determination of whether or not a player got involved in the play but it can tell you if they're offside or not and the player was clearly offside the question is did they get involved in the play and if you're asking my opinion I think he did and so even though he didn't touch the ball he still I think got involved in the play and I think it was the correct decision to rule out the goal tough one for Ecuador but I think it's the right call they did score a little bit later, though, to start the second half. Valencia poked home a rebound. That is Valencia's third goal of the tournament. He leads the tournament in scoring for the Golden Boot. And then, heartbreakingly, he got injured late in this game. And so Valencia was taking, taken off on a stretcher. I really hope he's okay. Not just because Ecuador need him, but because it's absolutely heartbreaking to see a player thriving and dominating and scoring goals and then he gets hurt and now we have serious question marks over whether or not this team is going to be able to advance because they have to well they don't have to beat Senegal in the final game but they have to at least get a tie with Senegal and it's gonna be a lot harder if Valencia can't go so I really hope he's okay but again this is another issue with teams only had like a week to train before the World Cup actually started when you only have like a week to go before the games start, like it's really hard. It's really hard physically to do that. And players play too many games as it is. So 
my heart goes out to Valencia. I hope he's okay. And I hope Ecuador are able to field a full team. But we'll see how it goes. They outshot the Dutch in this game 15-2. That's how much they dominated. 15-2. Bravo to Ecuador. They, they were great. They were unlucky not to win this game. And for the Netherlands, didn't play well. But you got a point. And now you play Qatar. And if you beat Qatar by multiple goals, which you should, you should win the group. So Netherlands, it hasn't been pretty, but they've gotten the results they need. And now they're in prime position to finish first place in the group, which is exactly what they want. So basically going into the final game, because Ecuador plays Senegal, if Ecuador wins or draws, they go through. If Ecuador win, they might be able to win the group. If Senegal win, they go through, Ecuador's eliminated. That's what it is. So... All or nothing, final match day. Should be fun. Can't wait to watch. All right, on to Group B. In Group B, we're going to start with Wales and Iran. Iran left it literally to the last couple minutes. But they won in the most spectacular way possible. A last-minute goal, and then they got a second one after that. But a last-minute goal, and they win 2-0 over Wales to keep their hopes alive and set up a win and you're in game with the United States. Man, what a game. So, first of all, I think Iran deserved a win. They had a play in the game where Asmoon, he hit the post twice in the same sequence, like within 10 seconds. He took a shot, hit the post, got it back, dribbled around, took another shot, hit the other goal post, and you just felt, you know, in your heart, you're just like, man, how did that not go in the net? And, you know, Iran, they kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And it's just they couldn't they couldn't find that goal. But then finally, Chesmi, Cheshmi, again, I apologize if I put your names. Cheshmi scored with literally next to no time left. And then they got a second goal like a minute later, but that wasn't as important. The game-winning goal, 98th minute. I mean, you can't write it better for Iran to keep their hopes alive. For Wales, they weren't good in this game. Wales did not play well. Hennessy got himself a red card as well, fully deserved, by the way. Basically, what happened is uh, Taremi for Iran and Hennessy, the Welsh goalkeeper, he came like way out of his net, like way past the 18-yard box, and they ended up colliding with each other. But the ball was well gone, and so Hennessy like almost like Cobra Kai kicked him. I mean, that's gonna get you a red card. And so VAR correctly told the referee to go to the monitor, and he got sent off. So it was the backup goalkeeper, but it was still a great shot that won the game. But for Wales, they had a really good chance early in the game. And that was about it. Like, they didn't create a lot of high-end scoring chances. And Iran was the team that really wanted to win the game. It felt like Wales wanted to avoid losing. And Iran wanted to win. And that's what it felt like in this game. So Iran got the winner very, very late. They left it to the last minute. And then they got the second goal as well. And so Iran now control their own destiny they're still alive and for wales it's a really tough loss because they still have a chance but it'll be tough going
going into the final match day. And I'll talk about the Group B scenarios here in just a second. But I want to talk about England-USA. So, England-USA, finish 0-0. Nah, yeah, it wasn't that great of a game. But England feels pretty good because England is probably through with the 0-0 tie. So I guess you can call it a 0-0 win. I hate saying that, but probably true. For the United States, I think they play better. I think the U.S. were the better team in this game. Uh, Christian Pulisic hit the goal, hit the crossbar. Sorry, he hit the crossbar on a shot, and they had uh, McKinney had a really good chance in the middle. He wasn't able to score, but sadly for the U.S., like there wasn't a lot of top top tier scoring chances. But they were the better team. They were actually trying to create more chances. England, I felt, really struggled in the midfield. I thought Bellingham and Rice really got run off the field to a large extent. The American midfield completely dominated the English midfield. I also felt that there was just no service for Harry Kane. Harry Kane barely got a touch on the ball the whole game because there was just no one feeding him passes. And it's tough as a striker. When you're a striker, you need that service. And England was not getting it to Harry Kane. And so the Americans, they were the better team. They just weren't able to score. And so it finishes 0-0. It kind of sucks for them because they probably, you know, were the better team in the game. But they still control their own destiny. So I think the Americans probably feel good about that at least. And for England, they're almost certainly through. And so let's break this down. So there's some math here. But uh, I've gone ahead and done the math for you so you don't have to do the math because I know doing the math on the scenario stuff sucks. So here's the situation for Group B. So the reason I say that England have basically made it through to the next round is because the only way England doesn't make it to the next round is if they, number one, they have to lose two whales by four. They can lose by three, but then they would have to concede six goals. And so that's a much less likely scenario. Not that losing by four is very likely anyways, but they can either lose to whales by three while giving up six goals total or lose by four to Wales. And then the United States or Iran have to win. It can't be a tie. Because if it's a tie, then England has to lose by seven in order for that to even matter. So if we assume that England won't have the worst collapse in the history of their country at, you know, men's or women's, any version of this tournament, assuming they don't have the worst collapse in their history, I think they're fine. England's probably safe to go through. Now, whether or not they win the group, that's a different thing. England probably needs to win to win the group. But they're probably through to the round of 16 anyways. But finishing second place probably means a game with the Netherlands in the round of 16. And so that's maybe not ideal. But you're going to have to play tough teams anyways. So the most important thing is just getting out of the group. All right. So that's England scenario. So as you can imagine, Wales' scenario is kind of tough. In order for Wales to make it through, they need to first beat England, because if they don't beat England, then it's irrelevant. It, won't ma it doesn't matter. But Wales need to beat England, and they need to, for to hope for a tie. If Wales don't get a tie in the Iran-USA game, then it's going to be really unlikely for them to go through. In fact, almost impossible for them to go through. So for Wales, they need a win and a tie in the other game. For England... They're basically through, uh, barring the catastrophe scenario I outlined. And so then that leaves the United States and Iran. So for Iran, a tie 
gets them in as long as Wales doesn't win. A win gets them in to the next round. And maybe a group win if England don't beat Wales. For the United States, win and you're in. You win, you're in. You lose, you're out. You draw, you're out. Simple as that. So the United States, very simple, win and you're in. For Iran, win and you're in. Draw and you're probably in. For Wales, win and then hope for a tie. And for England, you need to win to win the group. So that's kind of the scenario. There's a lot to keep track there, I know. But Group B, every team is still alive going into match day three. And this is what I thought would happen. I thought every team would still be alive for the third game. And they all are still alive. So every single team could still make it out of this group. So I'll be flipping back and forth on my TV between the two games, that's for sure. If I can, I'll try to watch both at the same time, but it's really hard to do that. So I'll be at least turning my attention to one game or the other as things happen in either game. But yeah, you'll have to keep an eye on both. You'll have to somehow keep track because everyone's alive and both games will really matter for the last day. And so... That's it. That's all I got for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Next episode, Match Day 2 continues. And Canada plays Croatia. That should be a lot of fun. Can't wait to see that one. Spain plays Germany. That should be a good one, too. And then tomorrow, Argentina, Mexico. Can't wait. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of The World Game, a World Cup podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I will be doing reaction episodes throughout the tournament. The music is from Pixabay. The whole thing gets going on November 20th, so make sure you subscribe and don't miss a moment of the 2022 World Cup.